You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we do that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. But that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. For example... What better way to show your support for the Hoosiers after their big uh, losing streak, snapping victory over Michigan State, than going and cheering them on at home in these two upcoming games that they have against Iowa and Ohio State. I'll tell you what, I just looked at the tickets available for this Iowa game on Thursday, February 7th. There are some surprisingly good seats available in like the $30 range. Like I'm seeing seats right here in Section B for $32, bucks. Uh, in Section F for 29 bucks, Section D for $43. So, I mean, there's some pretty good seats available for that game. So if you're able to, you know, in the area, able to go to that game, uh, check out the tickets for the, the IU-Iowa game on SeatGeek. Same thing with the Ohio State game and all the rest of the six home games that Indiana has. Plenty of opportunities coming up to see your Hoosiers. And the reason that you should go to SeatGeek is because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They search multiple ticket sites and grade every ticket based on value, which helps you to immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. That's how I just identified them there looking at the Iowa game. A lot of big green circles, which is how you know that it's a good value. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the app on my phone. It's the easiest way I have found to shop for concert tickets, sports tickets, really any type of live event. The first place I go is SeatGeek. That's why I recommend it to you as well. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $10 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 100, or no, this is the 14th edition of Banner Monday. Had an error there. It is our 479th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, February 4th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And, you know, this weekend's banner moment occurred right at the 313 mark of overtime in Indiana's victory over Michigan State. You remember the play. Al Durham corralled the loose ball at the free throw line a split second before diving Cassius Winston would have had it. Then, with the poise of a veteran, Al calmly turned, surveyed the landscape for a beat, and found Romeo Langford standing wide open outside the three-point line, just a step or two left of the top of the key. 
At the moment he caught Durham's pass, Romeo had made just five of the 20 unguarded catch-and-shoot threes he'd taken on the season. That rate was in the bottom 20th percentile in the country. Certainly none of those previous 20 shots carried the weight of this 21st. Make it, and the Hoosiers go ahead 71-70. Miss it, and Michigan State is probably going the other way with a chance to make it a two-possession lead. We all know what happened next. Romeo drained it. And then Romeo did something else we haven't seen much from him this season. He celebrated as he ran back on defense. He let out some emotion. It was the biggest play in a freshman season that has been filled with big plays. It's ironic, of course, that the shot Romeo made to give Indiana the lead that it would never relinquish again is the type of shot that he'd been the least efficient at making all season. But it was that kind of night for the Hoosiers, one they earned after somehow rediscovering their confidence, resolve, and togetherness in the toughest environment they'll face all season despite seven straight losses and Jawan Morgan's early exit. But if you want vintage Romeo, you only have to go back a few minutes of gameplay to the end of regulation to recall Romeo delivering another huge bucket, this one featuring his greatest strength coming through in another major moment of need for the team. Down 65-64, Romeo drove right on one of the nation's best two-point field goal defenses, and he did what he has done so often this season, finished off the glass over the outstretched arms of helpless defenders. Over the final eight minutes of regulation, Romeo scored nine of Indiana's 18 points as the Hoosiers turned a three-point deficit into an overtime period that would eventually yield a four-point win. His final shooting line of six of 18 was one of his worst of the season, but sometimes in some games against some opponents in some moments, Volume of production matters more than efficiently. S- efficiency. Sometimes you just need a guy who can go get you a bucket in a big moment. And if he fails, has the confidence to come right back down and try again the next time. It's what Indiana so painfully missed last year. And it's been such an important factor in why games like Northwestern, Louisville, and Michigan State are wins instead of losses. Saturday night was another reminder of what a magnificent player Romeo Langford is. And if what we saw from him and the Hoosiers is any type of indication of what's to come, our one season with Romeo still has a chance to have a special ending that accompanies the many special moments along the way. All righty, and joining me for today's mailbag segment here on Banner Monday, he's a columnist for the big lead and a host of The Hangover. It is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, are you still basking in the glow of that, uh, that Saturday night victory? You're muted. Of course I am. <laughs> uh, I, I really don't have much to add, guys. Um you know, it 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 was a great game. The way it finished, we talked about it uh, in the post game. I thought it was uh, pretty amazing of the way that they fought back and the way that they battled, and uh, particularly without Jawan Morgan. So we'll see. Um, let's uh, let's uh, hope that they can save some of that up uh, to battle Iowa this week and what's going to be another big game. And pretty much the rest of the way, they're all going to be a big game, so they're going to have to show up like that. But it it reminded me of the team we saw early in the year. Yeah. And we'll talk about some specific reasons why that was here coming up in just a minute. Um, on tap for today, Mike DeCorsi will be here in the second segment to talk IU hoops, take a look around the Big Ten. Uh, then I will look ahead to Indiana's matchup against Iowa, dig into a few of the numbers. Uh, and as always, remember Basketball 201 now on Tuesdays. So uh, Ben and I will broadcast that live at 2 Eastern at assemblycall.com on Tuesday. Um, all right, Ryan. So let's hit some of these questions. The first one comes to us from Mike. And he says, having Duran and Green back in the lineup seemed to really help. Can the success that we had Saturday be sustained if we remain healthy? I will kick this over to you with this note. 
In the five games with all four guys, Devontae Green, Deron Davis, Al Durham, and Rob Finnessy, who have all missed time for various reasons this season, when all five of them have played, Indiana is 4-1 and one with two top 20 wins, a neutral court win over Butler, and one loss at Duke. That's pretty good. Obviously, it's a little bit of a smaller sample size, but you know, sometimes it's just, it's just as simple as get your team back and you're better. So my simple answer is yes, if they stay healthy, they can sustain the success. Well, I mean, Devontae Green and Deron Davis are two veterans who've been there before, um, regardless of how perfect they are, at what they do or how, you know, whether they always knock it out of the park. They're guys who are calm in certain situations. And we mentioned it after the game. Devontae Green has no shame when shooting, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's really bad. But he knocked down some huge shots against Michigan State. This team desperately needed and he had confidence in them. And that's something that we haven't seen guys have. With Deron Davis, I mean, he's pretty much, if you throw away the, the ball to him in the post, it feels like it's automatic points. And where in this offense do you feel like you get automatic points? Uh, whether it's Deron scoring or kicking it to somebody who will be open or whatever, you feel like you've got points when you get the ball to him. So, yeah, I mean, if those guys are healthy and have their heads on straight, obviously, with Devontae, and can move forward and play... Uh, you know, that that's certainly there's a chance to sustain this. I mean, we saw this team, this exact team, play much differently and much better in the preseason, in the non-conference schedule. The conference season hits in January and things fall apart. Uh, part of that is definitely injuries. Part of that, I think, is a snowball effect. People said, well, you can't just blame it on injuries. Well, no, I don't think we have blamed it just on injuries, but I think injuries certainly have to be factored in. There's not one reason this team fell apart. There's injuries. There's the fact they weren't shooting well. There's a the fact that when you lose two or three in a row, you start questioning everything you're doing, and it snowballs, and your confidence goes out the window. I mean, and the schedule is brutal. <clears throat> there, and, and there's 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 a bunch of factors that lead to you losing, and it's not there's never just one silver bullet. If there was, coaching and playing would be very easy if you could just figure out one thing to fix it. Um, so I think there were a ton of factors, but you definitely have to factor in the the you know the injuries and and the fact that they were missing some of these guys and 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 when they have their full roster we know what this team is capable of even without their full roster in the early season a couple times you saw them play very very well and if you can get these guys back and get them playing consistently you know and not missing time then you add in possibly a race thompson down the stretch i mean that changes the dynamic of who this team is and what they can do, particularly a guy like, a guy like Grace is going to be pretty fresh down the stretch, quite frankly, and a lot of other players aren't going to be. So, again, it, it really is a multifaceted problem that Indiana has been dealing with. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this was a one-off game and, and, and the, you know, we're going to go back to the, the, the lackluster performances we've seen, but it certainly that game showed that they can compete with anyone in the Big Ten when they're playing with passion and intensity and they're relatively healthy. Yep. All right, so following on the heels of that question, this is from JD. So he says, was IU's poor shooting up until Saturday what they are or a statistical lull that will improve going forward so as to uh, improve in Big Ten play to a reasonable number? So the first thing I would say is, you know, the poor shooting up until Saturday was really closely tied in that, like it was pretty well contained in the post Christmas play. Cause prior to that, our shooting percentage had actually been pretty good. And I think that's important to remember. And actually I looked into some of the numbers 
And, you know, I, I mentioned Indiana's record when all five of those guys have played, Al Devante, Rob, and Duran. And the reason, of course, why Al Devante and Rob are important, especially for three-point shooting, is they're all 38.5% or better from three. That's not like yep. Zeisloff level, you know, knockdown shooter, but that's really good. That's reliable. And so when those guys have played and Duran has played 10-plus minutes, Indiana has shot 37% from three-point range. And just to give that number context, the national average is 34.2%, and Indiana's season average is 32.8%. So it just shows you, you know, we haven't had those guys together very often this season. Here's a number that really stuck out to me, and I don't know how much to read into it, Ryan, but in the nine games in which Deron Davis has played 10-plus minutes, Indiana has shot 37.9% from three-point range. And in those nine games, Juwan Morgan is nine for 18 from three-point range. No, I don't have yeah, the data on why. just... Yeah, I mean, I don't have the data on, you know, the actual minutes when Duran's out there, so certainly there's, you know, some noise in that stat. But I think it does make some sense, and I think there's a few things going on there. You know, when you have a guy like Duran that you can dump it into... Yeah, the, when you have a guy like Duran that you can dump it into, there's obviously some gravity that he's going to create with people having to pay attention to him because he's so good in the post. Plus, he's a really good passer. And you look at the impact that him being in there has on Juwan... Juwan can step out and play outside more. And he's just fresher because Duran absorbs some of the banging that Juwan has to take. Plus, Duran's just a really confident guy. <laughs> I think sometimes like his confidence and his assertiveness rubs off on his teammates. And so I think all of that helps because one of the things that we've talked about, Ryan, and that you know John Crispin talked about on Podcast on the Brink is that with shooting, sometimes it's the way you're getting the shots in the offense that can determine how well you're going to shoot. Are they in rhythm? And when Indiana is able to play inside out, you know, through a Duran, through a Juwan, they're getting shots that are more in rhythm. And so I think, you know, all those things to me factor into why Indiana's shooting numbers are better with Duran on the court. And of course, they're going to be better when your best shooters are out there. And one last yeah. stat, one last stat real quick, Ryan, yeah. just to just to knock this home. In the 15 games in which one of Al, Devante, Rob, or Duran hasn't played or left early due to injury, Indiana has shot 31.2% from three-point range. So it also shows a little bit of the delicate balance with this team that they need everybody together functioning. When they have them, they can be pretty solid offensively. Yeah, I, I think that having a guy like Duran just spaces the floor differently because you have to pay attention to him in the post. Sometimes you have to double him, doubling off a shooter because if there's a cutter like Jawan Morgan or someone like that, you can't double off of them. So you wind up, getting an open look and it makes the defense scramble and, and that usually will lead to pass you know passes instead of dribbles and open shots and, and so i think that just ball reversal to open shots can be easier to hit than dribbling into a shot uh i, I think also as you said you pull joan morgan away from the basket he, he's one of your more confident shooters from the perimeter I mean, that makes sense as well uh, and i think also one of the keys is just when the defense has to focus so much on stopping one guy, it gives you the confidence that, hey, I'm open. I am, you know, I don't have to find a way to get open. I'm already open within the offense. And, and so you don't have to constantly be thinking about, do I need to move over here? Do I need to do that? I'm just, okay, I'm open. Catch, worry about the shot more than worrying about positioning on the floor and all of that stuff. Uh, I just think also when you have all your guys and your offense can, not face serious lulls because if there is a lull, you can just throw it into the post and at least get fouled and maybe stop the run and maybe get a hook shot. I mean, that's the thing about big men is that they're almost momentum proof. 
if your guy gets good position on the post, you can throw the ball down to him. And if he's in the right spot, he can score. And if you have a good big man and, and so they're momentum proof, you don't have to run through your entire offense to get a bucket. I've always said, I think the teams that are best in March are the ones that have easy baskets because everybody's tired. It's a long season. If you can just throw it down to a guy in good position and get him to get a layup, it makes your offense so much easier. You don't have to work as hard on that end. You could focus working on the defensive end. And so I think that teams that win national championships have competent big men they can get easy baskets with and not have to run everything through their guards. Uh, So I think it just changes the vibe of the team when you know that if things are going bad, you don't have to force a three. You can throw it down to that guy and get points in, you know, close to the basket, which is why, quite frankly, a guy like Trace Jackson Davis is going to be huge for this team uh, next year because he's a guy who can score anywhere inside the three-point line. That's a guy who can find a way, find his way to the hoop and and, and score. And um, so I think Deron Davis offers that same thing where you could just set up your offense. Deron gets position. You've seen him. He doesn't even have need to have great position. He's got such great touch. He can just go right over the defender uh, with a hook with either hand. Uh, so I think that that really does have an effect on your shooters and just on your, your team's confidence in general. And you're not going to make it if you're not shooting confidently. If you're shooting, questioning whether or not you should take that shot or whether or not it's going to go in, it's not going to go in. It's just a simple fact of, of basketball. Um, and, and so I do think that Duran just has a huge impact on the team in general, not just from a shooting perspective, but just in general. And, you know, one other thing to add here about Devontae, because his his impact can sometimes get overshadowed by the bad shots and the turnovers. But the thing about the two of them together, who is the best post feeder and the most relentless post feeder on this team? It's Devontae Green. And so when those guys get in there together, he really commits to getting Duran the ball in the post. And that really helps to magnify Duran's impact because you know, you've got someone out there in Devontae who can get him the ball. So those two guys really work well together. And so I think, you know, plus it's just experience and guys who have been around the block and who have, you know, a couple extra years of physical development, that helps. And so, you know, I think these are things that we had talked about and thought about before the Michigan State game. But seeing it, the juxtaposition of how Indiana was before and how they played Saturday just really, I think, you know, brought it home for everybody. Uh, this question from Bill, just how hard is it to follow up an intense, focused, and determined performance with a repeat of effort to secure another crucial victory over Iowa? Uh, and I think you know what Bill is, is suggesting here about the importance of the Iowa game is definitely true. I mean, you've got to back the Michigan State performance up with another good one and then another good one after that. Speak to this in a second here, Ryan, generally, but I will just say, you know, sometimes I think this can be, you know, kind of a, a coach thing, a program thing, you know, how, how good is a coach at getting his team after a big win to refocus and come back the next game. So I looked at Archie Miller's history and he has had uh, 16 opportunities where his teams have won on the road against top 100 teams. And you, you remember at Dayton, you know, they're you know, we're probably ranked between 30th and 60th for the most part. And some of the better teams in their conference were still 70th, 80th, 90th and Ken Palm. So those are big road victories uh, that we're talking about here. He had 16 of them. His teams were 11 and five in the next game. When they played top 100 teams, the next game, they were seven and five. And when they played top 100 teams at home, they were seven and two. So overall, Archie's done a pretty good job coming off the high of a big road win and getting his team refocused for the next game to come out and play well, you know, even if it's been at home and even if it's been a good team. So 
for whatever we can take from that, he's shown the history of doing it, just like he's shown a history of winning close games, and we've seen that come through at Indiana. But just generally speaking, what kind of a challenge is that for coaches, Ryan? I mean, it's tough. It, it you know, it, there's they always call it the letdown game. You know, you come up with a big win, and everybody feels really good about themselves, and it's hard to sort of bring them back down to earth and practice that week and practice hard and focus because you feel like, oh man, you know, we maybe we are pretty good. Maybe just what we are is good enough. When quite frankly, you need to continually be getting better, and you need to refocus, and you need to. Each team is different. Each matchup is different. And remember, hey. Uh, they played their tails off, but Michigan State also missed a bunch of free throws that let them win that game. So, you know, you've got to be able to pull yourself back in and remember, hey, that we beat a really good team on the road. That's amazing. But they also gave us plenty of chances to win the game and all this. And and so you really have to, you know, be brought back down to earth quickly, uh, hopefully with a guy like Deron back. And you heard him talk after that. Uh, you heard the interview with Deron after the game, and I was really impressed with him. And he was just saying, hey, you know what? We've been able to practice better lately because more guys are back. And, you know, even even though I've been available, I haven't been practicing. And, you know, it just changes the dynamic for everyone. And, and let's face it, Deron is the old guy on the team, uh, along with Juwan Morgan. He's the veteran. And um, I think that having his presence around might help guys sort of refocus and be, and be brought back down to earth. And, uh, certainly they were feeling great about this win, but they got it. Luckily, there's time. You know, they had a long, they're going to have a long break before uh, they get Iowa on Thursday. So uh, hopefully that gives them time to have celebrated the win, but then, you know, snap back into reality and realize, hey, we dug ourselves quite a hole in January and and we have to refocus. And that that is on the coaches. The coaches have to snap them back. Coaches and the leaders, you know, the the, of course, the, yeah. Yeah, the player leadership has to do that, too. You know, the thing, I, I, if you haven't listened to Duran's comments after the Michigan State game, I highly recommend it because the one thing that just came through loud and clear to me, Ryan, is his confidence, which kind of bordered on arrogance a little bit. You know, he's like, I don't want a double team. You know, like, I, I feel like I can score. And he's got a personality and he's got some natural leadership qualities. And yeah, he's been he's on the an bench. Older guy, yeah. You know? Well, and, and you know, and yeah, he's been on the bench this whole time. But those things can only go so far if you're not actually out there on the court. But when you have a guy that legitimately every time down the court thinks, "Get me the ball, I'm going to score," that can rub off on other guys just in terms of attitude. Let alone, you know, the impact that it has on the offense. So, you know, I think we saw some of that. You know, some of that rubbing off on everybody um, in that game. And it obviously took a lot of things going right for Indiana to win that game. But I think that was one of them. And so I think that's another reason why it's so important for Duran to be able to be healthy and give you, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game. If he can do that, it's going to change the entire complexion uh, of the end of this season. Uh, <laughs> Josiah asks us, in a matchup between IU's performance on Saturday against Michigan State and the 2014 winning performance at home against Wisconsin, who would win? Uh, and I just want to say, I, I don't appreciate the... Uh, kind of the, the underlying assumption there that this team is like the 2014 team, although we've made that comparison. And at times when they've been injured and Duran hasn't been in or you've been missing Rob Finnessy or Devontae's been out, it has felt like that. But again, as you look at when this team has actually been together, they've really played well and played well offensively and gotten some good wins. That 2014 team really just never gelled at all all season. Plus yeah. that win against Wisconsin was at home. So it was big. It broke the long streak against Wisconsin. But it was a home game. This was a road game at Michigan yeah. State where we've won once since 93. I mean, as we're going to talk Honest, about with Mike DeCourcy, it's one of the most surprising Big Ten results in the last decade. 
So no, no real comparison there. One of the most impressive wins of the year in college basketball. I mean, you look at the list, I would say Gonzaga beating Duke in, in Maui is with the way Duke was playing is probably number one, but that was a neutral court game, you know, where Gonzaga was a really good team and playing well. And, and, uh, but if you look at most impressive wins, uh, you know, Syracuse over Duke, I guess, but that was a home game, I believe, um, you know, it's, I, I don't yeah, know. Syracuse, Syracuse won at Duke, so that was a pretty Oh, impressive was at win. Duke. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. I, I couldn't remember. I didn't, I only saw the tail end of that game. Uh, but I also, if you look at the numbers right now, it, it, we forget that Indiana was a good team a month ago. You know, I mean, this was a horrible run of losses, but because of the way Indiana was playing, they were 12 and 2. They're still number 43 in the net rankings. They're still number 45 in Ken Palm. Uh, Alex Moses just posted this earlier today. They're number 35 in Sagarin. Uh, T rank number 53 and KPI number 48. Those are all tournament positions, uh, despite a huge losing streak that looked awful, you know. So, uh, this is a good team and it has been a good team. It's been a good team that has not been healthy and has not been playing well. And, and there's, uh, there's a distinction there. It's good. There are plenty of good teams don't play well. Uh, this is a team that has not been playing well. And we finally saw what they were capable of Saturday night. And I think it's interesting to remember all through the offseason and even at the beginning of the season, what did we say about the way this season was going to progress? That this team was probably going to struggle, and especially in January with that rough beginning to the Big Ten season, they would take on some water and they would probably lose some games, but they had the potential to really gel in February and March and really hit their stride down the stretch. Now, no one expected it to be as bad in January as it was. No, we were expecting like 500. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was exacerbated by a lot of different factors, some of them that were in the team's control, some of them that weren't, and they just they couldn't take advantage of anything. But you know, because of the big wins they were able to get, they're still in a position now as we, you know, as we enter February, as we move through February, where a lot of the things that we talked about before the season started, the season can still basically be that. And maybe the final record won't be as pretty because there's, you know, we'll, we'll I'm surely have double digit losses and there's always going to be that seven game losing streak there. But again, if what, if what we saw on Saturday starts to become what this team can do and they can get some modicum of health, there is still a lot of season left and a lot that this team can do because when they're and playing well, team, they can be really good. If this team had just beaten Maryland on the road when they had that game in their hand, if they had just beaten Northwestern on the road where they could have easily won that game, they'd be those two wins only in that seven game losing streak. They'd be 15 and seven and probably on the edge of the top 25 after beating Michigan State. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Two close losses they definitely should have had both on the road. Uh, they didn't play as well at home as they did on the road, quite frankly, in some of those games. Uh, but man, if they had just gotten those two wins, uh, this is a different story. We're completely, it's a completely different season. Uh, last question for you, Ryan, and we get this a lot, so I'll get your take on it here real quick. This is from Nathan. Um, after we win, or after the win, so many immediately went to the will Keon commit tomorrow dialogue. He didn't, but he also didn't commit anywhere else while we lost seven in a row. Uh, how much weight does current on-court performance really carry for recruits? What do you I mean, mean, I've, I've said what I think about it. What do you think? I think it? it's very little. I think when, when recruits are investing in a team, they invest in the program where it's headed, not where it is. Because quite frankly, what happens this year doesn't matter to Keon Brooks. He's, back next, he's there next year. Um, I, I think that, sure, if a team just completely tanks and falls apart and you know finishes with 20 losses yeah of course a guy's going to look at that and say oh well do i want to go there sure it has it's a factor uh 
But Keon saw this team go 12 and two. He saw his buddy commit there and buy into the system because he believes in the system. He believes in the coaches. Uh, from everything we've heard, he really likes the coaching staff, regardless of the losing streak. And I think that Archie does, however much weight you want to put into this, Archie does have a built-in excuse of, look, we had so many injuries. This season fell apart. Let's say it just ends in disaster. They don't make the postseason. He has the built-in excuse of, look, we had so many injuries and so much bad luck. This is not what I'm building. You know what I'm building. You've seen what I'm building. That 12-2 and two start is what I'm building. And then everybody got hurt. So I think that it really is not going to be as big a factor as people think. And I certainly don't believe recruits are hanging game to game to realize where they're going to go. Keon Brooks has an idea where he wants to go, and he's going to let us know when he's ready. And uh, do I think that it's uh, a done deal one way or the other? No, I think there's always a chance. But I have heard lots of good things about his relationship with Archie Miller and IU, and I'm confident that uh, no matter what, uh, IU will have made as good a run as they can at him um, because they've, they've been players from the very beginning and have been definitely heavily involved and have come from really far behind in that recruitment as they did with Romeo Lankford. And I think it's worth noting too, uh, you want Keon Brooks on your team, obviously no question about it. You want to get Keon Brooks. If they don't get Keon Brooks, that opens a spot on the roster that you're planning for him that you might be able to go out and get a graduate transfer knockdown shooter. So I think that no matter what happens, they'll be able to fill that spot effectively. Obviously, your preference, get Keon Brooks. He's awesome. But I think that there are a lot of ways this could go that could work out for Indiana. Any final thoughts before we move on here? Let's go Hoosiers. Let's go Hoosiers. Let's do it. All right, uh, coming up here on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy. What did he learn about Indiana this week? How rare was what Indiana did on Saturday? And what do his power rankings look like after this week's wild Big Ten results? We'll talk about it. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. And there is no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. That was quite a whirlwind in Big Ten play this week. (laughs) It was, obviously, but I think you're speaking of one particular hurricane that blew through East Lansing in particular. It uh, It was an amazing Four hours of my life, by the way. Uh, I mean, that, that that game had to have been the longest college basketball game in history. I, I know. I, I mean, I I was there. I was uh, in Atlanta at the ACC tournament in 2009 when when and I started watching UConn versus Syracuse probably last couple minutes of regulation after the last game in Atlanta wrapped. And and I and I stayed there till like one thirty in the morning, and I still felt like this game was longer than the six overtime deal, but it was worth it, right? Oh, for the fans. certainly was from our perspective. So you know, since we last talked, you know, Indiana had one of the wildest swings you could imagine. It seems like ages ago, but the Hoosiers were bludgeoned at Rutgers in you know a game that we all thought was a must win. And what what on earth are we going to do if we lose this game? And they go on the road and win at Michigan State. So what what did you learn about Indiana this week? Well, the first, I don't know if I had it learned or not there, Jared, because how many times did you and I sit here and talk about the importance of, of, of size and how much it hurt to have Duran missing 
for the Hoosiers. And okay, so I mean, I, it's a devastating deal on Saturday to lose Jawan, but that forced them to play Duran more than probably they had intended, and hopefully, uh, it was it was okay to, to play him that long. But they they played him longer, and he was absolutely the difference in the game. He's the one guy I can look at and say that I didn't see a real true false step from him for the entirety of his time out there. I'm not saying there wasn't a little, I mean, no one plays perfectly, but there weren't glaring errors on his part. And I could point to a glaring error on the part of every single player, including the game's heroes, uh, including Romeo, all the big baskets he made, that last shot, Um, Justin Smith, all the big plays he made. There were plays, there was one, one play that, uh, it was a Michigan State transition basket, and it was used on a lot in our highlights every show we did. And every time we showed that, there's Justin Smith not running in transition. The best athlete on Indiana's team is not running to make a difference. And so there were there were, but the Ron was solid. I mean, he he was good at both ends. He made big baskets. He was a warrior. He stood up to Nick Ward and Tillman, uh, Xavier Tillman. He stood up to both of those guys, and he had very little help. He, you know, with Jawan out, it was pretty much all you, fella, and he did it. So I, what I learned was what a difference that can make in a team, and then, therefore, what a difference confidence makes. And, again, that's not something I learned. It's something I learned about these Hoosiers, that when they're confident, they are a completely different team. I kind of thought that based on the way they blew out Marquette, for instance, things got going, they were confident. Uh, and they kept it up. Uh, they they played confidently in the Butler game. Uh, not perfectly again, but confidently, and they made big plays at the end and won. So I, I think really more than anything, I had elements reinforced for me. And if people were listening to you and I over the last, what what's it been, three weeks, four weeks, mm-hmm. since this uh, bad start, bad thing started, a lot of people had to have been watching and saying, that's what they told us, because that is what we told them. Mm-hmm. It is. It absolutely is. So of all the elements that you know kind of created the situation where Indiana could win that game, I think what a lot of Indiana fans are wondering now is how repeatable is this? And you know, we're not going to know, you know, okay, does Indiana come out and play with confidence again? Do they play with the same level of, of, of effort and focus and all that stuff against Iowa and Ohio State? We'll have to watch and see. But how much of it do you think was repeatable, what we saw? I think all of that was repeatable as long as the players are in place and healthy. And, and I think the confidence is repeatable if like they had early success against Rutgers, not, not early, early, but in the first half, they had a good first half. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of started falling apart when they got tired. Um, They, they had good stretches in a lot of games. I think what, what for it, for me, from it, you know, from an Indiana perspective, the most encouraging thing about what happened Saturday is what I was talking about before. They didn't play great. They played well, but they didn't. It wasn't like this over your head, doing everything right. You know, and they and 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 when the other team makes a run, you make sure that you make just few enough mistakes that you get to the finish line. That wasn't what we saw on Saturday. We saw a very good team that is flawed because of injury. And even and ha- even had that compounded, we saw them make enough winning plays on one end and on the defensive end play effectively enough to to force Michigan State to become 
a two-dimensional team instead of a multi-dimensional team. They okay, they had they they got themselves working really hard to get the ball in the post. Understandable because they they've got Nick Ward and he's really good. And and you and you've got one guy to defend them. Uh, and then on the outside, they had Cassius Winston working really hard to try to get him open, and that's understandable because he's fabulous. But that's not the best Michigan State. The best Michigan State scores from all angles. Mm-hmm. Indiana, through the course of that game, got Michigan State in, in some ways because they got McQuaid in foul trouble and got, got him out. So you got him out. So that take, you know, obviously Josh Langford's already gone. So you get McQuaid out. So that takes away a, a huge option from them. And again, it makes them two-dimensional. And the best teams are multi-dimensional. And, and Michigan State, at its best, has been multi-dimensional. In that game, they got narrowed down, and, and a lot of that was Indiana's defensive effort. I sent you a question earlier today because I figured that you would know the answer. I mean, we kind of know from an Indiana perspective how unprecedented a win like this is, where you go on the road unranked against you know in a venue like Breslin, and you win as a 14-point underdog with your best player getting hurt in the first half. What is the most recent Big Ten win that comes close to being like this? Well, the one that came to mind, and, and this is very insulting to Indiana fans, so uh, so I feel bad because I don't think that they are comparable circumstances. But in terms of the degree of shock, I mean, I, I said this on Big Ten basketball and beyond. I don't think you could have found more than 17 people in Bloomington. Uh, and I'm counting like every player and every staff member who thought that they were going to go up there and do that. I mean, so it's just that just those guys maybe believe they were going to do that outside of the family. So to speak, you couldn't have found anybody that thought they were going up to Breslin to win. Not even I did. And I'm like known as the guy who picks Indiana at all times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just didn't. So in terms of that improbability, and you mentioned what a, what a vast point spread, which is, you know, that's, that's really saying something. The one that came to mind immediately when you asked me that question was in 2015, about three weeks into the conference regular season, Wisconsin went to Rutgers. Rutgers, I believe, won two regular season or one or two regular season games that year in the league. Uh, and and they went to Rutgers. Uh, and this is a team, of course, that wound up playing in the national championship game and almost winning it all. And they but they went without. Frank Kaminsky. So it does sort of flip that script on its head. It was the superior team that was missing a player. And it was a superior, the superior team that lost the player in game when Trayvon Jackson got hurt. And so Rutgers pulled off what was the most improbable result that I can remember in my time covering the Big Ten at, at BTN. And this would probably be the second most. Not, again, not because Indiana isn't capable. And I, again, like I said, based on their performance in that game, I think they're highly capable because, again, I don't think they played fabulous basketball. So, But the, the improbability of it puts this in that conversation with that Rutgers-Wisconsin game. So, again, don't want to insult any Hoosiers fans. Don't want them to think I'm comparing them to a what was indeed a poor Rutgers team. Uh, but it, the improbability ranks pretty high. Yeah, I don't think Indiana fans will take offense to that. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, six weeks ago, you looked at this game and it was like, okay, you know, this is going to be a challenge, but hey, you know, we've won some games. We can go up there and give them, you know, give them a run for their money. 
but coming off seven straight losses where your biggest issue is confidence, you do not expect to go into the Breslin Center and get confidence, you know? So that's just, I mean, it just what a, you know, sports. I mean, there was probably some element, Jared, of what do we have to lose? And I think that was obviously missing from the Rutgers game. They played the Rutgers game on a sheet of ice. Yeah. Uh, if we slip, look what's going to, you know, look what's going to happen. Now it's going to be seven and it's, you know, and it, even though Rutgers is now a good basketball team, uh, not, you know, I mean, when you say good, you're there's, well, you're under 500 in your league and you're only uh, 12 and 10 or whatever, but I mean, they're very capable. They're a top 100 Ken Palm team now. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that that's not, it's, it's, you know, I, I, when, when they lost that game, I saw a lot of Twitter reaction. This is the low point in the year. They lost to Rutgers and, and I, you know, I, no, they lost to a good Rutgers is good now. This is not, you know, you don't look at just as people losing to DePaul in the Big East. Oh, we lost to DePaul. I mean, pay attention. Yeah. Watch the games. Watch what those teams are doing. They're not great. I'm not pretending Rutgers is great. I'm not saying that they're going to the tournament. But the, the uh, there was no disgrace in the Rutgers loss. It was just from an Indiana perspective, too bad that they played reasonably well in stretches and couldn't sustain it. Uh, again, so that you go from there to, to to Breslin, and I do think they went in there with an element of, well, you know, we we can't do any worse, and they played more freely. That that I saw from the beginning, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you too, Jared. I, they were a different team on that floor than they had been three four nights earlier in, in New Jersey. Yeah, there was movement, there was chemistry, there was enthusiasm. A lot of the things that we hadn't seen. So let's look around the Big Ten. We'll start with the power rankings. This was shakeup week. I mean, Michigan and Michigan State lost. Purdue kept winning. The bottom of the Big Ten, I mean, punched back. You know, Illinois and, and Rutgers. I mean, a lot of teams that, you know, even Penn State, you know, had kind of a frisky performance against Purdue, even though they didn't win. But as we look at the top now, what is your top four and has the revolving door at number four changed yet again? Well, number one goes back to Michigan. Uh, I mean, a team that has still only lost two regular season games, both in the league and overall. And so Michigan State forfeited that by losing at home. And so it's it's Michigan State, Michigan and then Michigan State. But whereas before when we were doing these, it was one, it was one, two, three. Now it's kind of one, two, three. Yeah. And Purdue comes in at third. Again, I, I in doing these, for those who've with, been with us every week, I've tried to rank the entirety of their performance, not just the, the recency bias, so to speak. And so although Purdue has been playing better of late in terms of results than everyone else, Purdue's week wasn't great. Uh, they got the wins they needed. Cool. That's what you're supposed to do. But they didn't play well at Penn State, obviously. You don't – you, you don't have to go overtime against uh, an O and eight team to get to get your win. And then at home, they were down double digits in the second half, and uh, they did not play well in that game at all. But they got the win again. So I don't feel badly about even though that they have won more games recently than the other two teams. I don't feel badly about ranking the third. And then I'm going to go back to Maryland at four. Uh, I, you know, I. I I still think Maryland is the most dangerous team in the league. I just wonder if they ever get there. Uh, I, I, I just don't, I, I still see there's this, there's some piece that's missing even with all the ability they have. And I, I look at them as the most talented team in the league, the, the team with the most high end talent. 
uh, Jalen Smith, Bruno Fernando, a, a three-year starter at point guard in Anthony Cowan, who will be, no question, a four-year starter, and who has been the defensive player of the year in the league, and who's averaging, I believe, 18 points a game now. So uh, I just I, there's something that I'd like to see. I, I really think if they could get that last ingredient, whether it's uh, belief or whether it's aggression or toughness or whatever it is, competitive toughness, if they get that last ingredient, I, I think that they are the team that could really do some damage in the tournament. Wisconsin's really close to this. Uh, they've played very well of late. And I, I, I had a Wisconsin fan ask, you know, what do I think their ceiling is? And I had, I had this thought when I was watching them on Friday night. Uh, I, they they kind of remind me, they're like the Big Ten's Syracuse. You know, Syracuse goes, it goes around and you know, loses some regular season games they shouldn't. And, they, and this is probably a little unflattering to Wisconsin because over time, I think they've been or over recent years, they've been better in the regular season than Syracuse. But whatever they achieve in the regular season, they get into the tournament and everybody who doesn't see them every week is like, what do we do with these guys? <laughs> so I, I think that they could get into the tournament if they continue to progress as they have. And from whatever seed they get, I think they could be very dangerous. You know, what you said about Maryland is interesting because they've lost three of their last four. And you know, you talk about the missing ingredient. They are 351st in Ken Palm's experience ranking because they're playing freshmen so many minutes. And maybe that's the missing ingredient is either, you know, those guys kind of mature and get better as the season goes along. Or I suppose you could also look at it as maybe they're going to hit a wall in February and March and it, and it won't go as well. But it seems like the progression of those young players is probably going to determine whether they get that extra ingredient or not. The advantage they have in terms of hitting a wall, especially on the perimeters, they play a lot of guys. Uh, it gets really thin. I mean, it doesn't get dangerously thin because I think Lindo's a good player, but uh, it's it, you, it changes your team. I, I like, like I said, I, I like uh, Ricky Lindo as a player. It, he's just not Bruno. I mean, so when when Bruno goes out uh, because, especially because of foul trouble, when you have to worry, it's okay to sit him down for a couple minutes. Lindo is fine in those stretches, but when Bruno gets into foul trouble and you're worried about one, what, how many minutes to play him in that stretch, and then two, uh, what kind of impact can he make if he's got to be concerned about fouls, then that really changes the character of their team. So outside of the teams that we've talked about, who who really caught your eye this week, team-wise or individual-wise? You know, I, I criticized Purdue for not playing well, but I was really impressed by the, the competitive spirit that they showed after they got behind on Minnesota. It really started to look like Minnesota was going to take that game. They were Gophers were playing very well. Uh, Minnesota uh, Minnesota brought uh, a lot of energy to that game, and Purdue looked like it had very little uh, to go on. I, I'm not sure whether they were tired or uh, whether they had Super Bowl party plans or what, but uh, they just didn't have any gumption, especially in the first half, and and really again through the first six seven minutes of the second half. And when they realized they could lose. They turned it on, and and Carson started to make plays, and and Ryan Ryan Klein made shots on a day when he really wasn't on, and they you know they started. It, Matt Harms was fantastic defensively, and and uh, and to an ex, you know to an extent or to a degree at the offensive end as well, and they brought themselves back. So I was very impressed by them not allowing a bad day to get them. And maybe if they were on the road, they might not have been able to get it back, but. Uh, they they were able to fight through that. And then the second one was I loved on Saturday afternoon the approach that Chris Holtman took 
to the Rutgers game. Uh, Rutgers had, as Hoosiers fans know, been doing a really effective job of using their physical power to influence the games. Uh, they, they, they were making a, the difference with their size. They throw three guys through the post position and, and you've got uh, Eugene Omaruyi, who they can play as a stretch four, who is as tough as any kid in the league. And they're really hard to cope with in that sense. And so what, uh, you know, what Chris Holtman did in the Ohio state game was say to Caleb Weston, look, I want you to play mostly on the perimeter. We'll throw you in the post every now and then, but we're going to stretch you out because those guys are going to have to come out and guard you. And they're not going to want to come 20 feet. And they didn't. We did a tape uh, Saturday night showing how many times Caleb Wesson made a shot without anybody within 15 feet of him. Uh, they didn't come out and challenge him even after he made a few. And that, and they paid for that. And, you know, I, if, if, if one of the things Steve Peichel could have done was say, okay, we're just going to go small and play and play Eugene as a, as a five, but that changes the character of your team. And you don't really want to do that uh, if you don't have to, in that circumstance. So, uh, so he stuck with his bigs and, and, and Caleb ended up having a 20 point first half, 20, maybe 21. And that, that really set the tone of the game. So I, I admired Chris Holtman's ingenuity there. It's not the first time I've inv- admired Chris Holtman's ingenuity. He's a fantastic coach. Uh, and and he showed again there why uh, he's so widely respected. You know, for as Indiana fans look ahead at the upcoming schedule, you know, six out of the last nine are at home, which is obviously you know very encouraging. It's also easy to look at that road game at Illinois and say, okay, you know, there's another one that we should get. Illinois is not that good. Boy, they're really playing better. So I think kind of like we did with Rutgers, we should probably inform people ahead of time if they stay on their trajectory that they've been on. That's a team that could be really tough to play by that point in the season. Yeah, Illinois, the, don't look at their records. Illinois' mistake this season. And again, I, I've talked about this before. I don't know, and I haven't asked, and I probably should, but I don't know what the repercussions are of saying to the people at Maui, there's no way we're coming because we're going to get crushed. <laughs> um, I, I don't know whether you can do that, but they, the, going to Maui really hurt their season. It really had a damaging impact because – they played well in the Georgetown game. They were obviously very young in that game. They're were, they were playing multiple freshmen. Uh, and, and they played well against Georgetown. It was a home game, and they just couldn't make enough plays down the stretch to win the game, and so they lose. And then they go to Maui, and they, and they wind up in, I believe they open with Gonzaga, and they played Gonzaga great. They were in the game, but Gonzaga's fantastic. Yeah. So they lose that game, and then they go into another tough game, and then they go another tough game. They lose three in three days. And the margin, I think Iowa State was the second one. The margin starts to get a little bit larger. Yeah. And they lost their confidence. And they were they they need they needed to play like 10 by games and really build toward this system and build their confidence. And if they had, obviously they wouldn't have the NCAA tournament resume that a lot of teams in this league do, but they might be up fighting in the middle of the standings uh, with you know with a borderline winning record because they have a ton of talent. They really do. Io DeSumo is as gifted as almost every player, as almost any player in this league. He's he's very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when you've got that, and you've got other players uh, who are starting to find their way, when you have a guy like Kipper Nichols, who people in the Big Ten have seen for I think three years now, who's made big plays in games, and he goes five games without scoring, and they still win a couple of those. 
And then he comes out on Saturday and scores 18, and I think 10 in the first half. And that makes that that shows how many players that they have that they could get by. I think they went two and three in that stretch, that five game stretch where he did not score. He didn't score for 23 days. And then he comes out and scores 18. And they were they were tough buckets. I mean, he wasn't out there making layups. A couple of threes, uh, a really nice turnaround J. And, and he was making big plays. So that's a game that's very dangerous, especially at Illinois, because well, I will give Illinois fans a ton of credit. I mean, a lot of schools who had that record on uh, attached to their programs would just say, okay, we'll be back next year. Uh, but the Orange Crush and the fans of Champaign have continued to turn out. I don't know what the exact numbers are. I just know when I watch a game from, from Illinois, and I've watched every game they've played in the league there, when I watch them, they are the, 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 the crowds are loud, the lower bowl sections are packed, so those fans have not given up on that program. Yeah, to your point, they played the second toughest schedule overall, and they've only played one, two, three, four, five games against teams that were not in the top 100. I mean, that is that is relentless. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> relentless. So last question for you. Obviously, Indiana fans, you know, looking ahead to that Thursday game against Iowa. Iowa coming off the big win over Michigan. What do you look for in that game? What are the keys to victory for Indiana against the Hawkeyes? Well, the first thing is to not be overwhelmed inside. Uh, that's a they, they showed that they could do that uh, with Nick Ward. But Nick uh, and Duran look each other more or less in the eye. Uh, they are about the same height. That doesn't always solve it with, with Nick. I mean, he's a very gifted low post scorer and a really strong player. But uh, Garza, Luca Garza, is a different challenge. Can make an outside, can make a three. He's a very good shooter. Uh, he's long for his height. I think about six eleven that he is, and he's really long even for a six eleven guy. Uh, and and he's very tough around the bucket. And then on the other side, somebody's got to deal with Tyler Cook. Uh, so you that you've got a real challenge there. Wieskamp is an excellent shooter, especially when he gets it rolling. You never can take your eye off Bohannon because he could shoot it from anywhere. Uh, they've got more good three point shooters than any team in the league. So defensively, you have to always be aware of everybody on the floor. And they will play, as some others, as Illinois does, for instance, they will play uh, 10 guys for extended stretches. So you have to deal with that without wearing out if you're Indiana. So a lot of real challenges for Iowa, for the Iowa game. But what, you know, the one thing that you can do, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it can they can have it they can have a tough time on the road. Um, they they can be they can be separated on the road. Uh, at home, when everybody's on their side, they play really well together. But you can you can get in between them. I don't want to say splinter. That's probably too strong a word. But you you can get them a little separated and get the glue undone a little bit if you play well defensively. So that's a that's a real challenge for the Hoosiers uh, against Iowa on Thursday night. It's funny when I read about them, when I hear people talk about them, they sound a lot like Tom Crean teams between about 2014 and 2017. You know, take take away the 2016 team, but just, you know, really dynamic on offense, can do some different things, but you know, can struggle defensively and sometimes the mental toughness isn't there especially on the road. So, now one thing to watch out for and we will see, but when you look at uh at, at what happened on Friday night is that Michigan coming in, not shooting the ball highly effectively, 
of late. They're a better shooting team, probably, uh, certainly statistically, than Indiana, but probably at their core as well. Uh, and so Iowa went almost straight 2-3 in that game, 2-3 uh, zone. And I think they found they, – I don't know whether they feel like they found something or not, because uh, but it worked. And I don't – I kind of expect them to come back thinking, let's give this a go because it worked. And it would be kind of silly for us, you know, like like the Los Angeles Rams, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl. Every time they found something that worked, they changed because they were afraid Belichick was going to figure it out. <laughs> so they ended up with nothing that worked. So I don't expect Iowa to come out after a game in which they held one of the top five teams in America to like fifty five points or whatever the final was uh, to come out and say, okay, let, now we're going to go man to man. Cause we got, we're worried they're going to figure out our zone. I, I think they're going to show the zone, try to make it work. And especially against the Hoosiers team that has not shot the belt ball well lately uh, and see if they can uh, force them to figure it out. Hopefully the hot shooting from Saturday night continues. <laughs> well, that would, that would help the Hoosiers. There's no question. About it that. sure would. It sure would. Well, Mike, thank you as always. Always appreciate your insight. And it's so much more fun to have these chats and we have something positive to talk about with the Hoosiers. <laughs> so hopefully that continues moving forward. Well, good luck to you guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks Mike. Thanks. All righty. It is time for our Iowa preview. The Hawkeyes are coming off a huge win uh, over Michigan. They play a lot like a vintage Tom Crane team, as I talked about. What will Thursday night's game look like? We'll pick up on what we talked about here with Mike and go into some keys to victory for the Hoosiers. Stick with us. back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our final segment on Banner Monday, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent. We've had a few recent editions of Banner Monday, either on Monday or Tuesday, where the game has been that night. So there's been a really quick turnaround between this segment and the actual game. You'll have plenty of time to ruminate on this one because the Hoosiers don't play again until Thursday. That, of course, means that we won't have Assembly Call Radio this week. The postgame show will be our Thursday night show. Um, so we're not going to you know, have a chance to talk about this before then, although I'm sure I'll do some previewing of it uh, in our Banner Morning segments. But you know, this is, this is going to be a really interesting game. Um, you know, it was going to be interesting no matter who the opponent was, just because coming off of that big emotional high against Michigan State, where Indiana you know, basically did all of these things that they haven't done recently. You know, the effort, the offensive rebounding, the shooting, having their, you know, most of their lineup together, you know, because you get, you know, guys like Devontae and Duran back. So it was just such a unique game when you look at it within the context of the nine games that came before it since, you know, since we've come back from the Christmas break. And so I think what everybody's going to be curious about to see Thursday night is, all right, what of this carries over? You know, of the things that we were able that led us to this victory against Michigan State, how much of those things carry over? Or, you know, do we see more of the things that we saw during the seven game losing streak? And I think we're all really curious to see. And I think, you know, our own natural faith as fans, plus recency bias from watching that game Saturday, and for many of us, probably watching it three or four times. So it really gets ingrained in your mind. I, I, I think we're all going to be expecting it, you know, and really be let down if we don't see some of those things. And I think that's totally fair. And, and uh, But I think, you know, when you have a win like that, and we talked about this on the postgame show, 
you know, where you do so many of those things and where the guys do the things that Archie's been wanting them to do, you know, you can point to it. And I think that really helps to build trust. And if you get into, a, you know, a rough moment, you know, where guys aren't doing it, you can remind them, hey, remember what we did against Michigan State? Because if you go out and do that, you're not just going to be doing it in vain and still lose by 10. You beat, you know, the best team in the conference on their home floor doing it. So there's a reward out there, and they, the guys have seen that, you know, in their recent history. So, you know, hopefully that and just getting guys back and the, the confidence and the momentum really springboards this team. And we'll get our first chance to find out Thursday night. I have to think, you know, it, it's, it would have been a great atmosphere anyway. I think it'll be just a tremendous atmosphere because of the excitement about this win. Man, when Deron Davis comes off the bench for the first time, he is going to get a standing ovation. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So, so what are the keys? Well, you know, the style of this game is going to be really important. So if you haven't kept up with Iowa, they're currently ranked 22nd in Ken Palm. They're 17 and 5. They are 6 and 5 in conference play. And they've lost two of their last three, actually. So they beat Michigan last week. Prior to that, uh, they lost at Minnesota 92 to 87. And they lost at home against Michigan State 82 to 67. And they had won five games in a row before that. Uh, you know, their big wins this year. Uh, they beat Iowa State, which is number 12 in the country right now. Uh, they beat uh, Nebraska uh, back when Nebraska was playing a little bit better. Uh, and then obviously they beat, you know, they beat Michigan. So they've proven that they can beat some good teams. In terms of road wins, they won at Penn State. They won at Northwestern. And that is it. So, you know, the thing that they haven't done really is proven that they can beat a really good team on the road. Um, you know, and I suppose... Indiana, you know, one and seven in their last eight games. So whether you call them a really good team or not, uh, it was kind of kind of up to you. But you know, I, I you know, beating Indiana uh, would be their biggest road win of the year. And so I think you know, Indiana really needs to capitalize on that. You know, control tempo. You know, maximize the energy because, as Mike DeCourcy said, you know, this Iowa team can become a little un disconnected uh, on the road, and Indiana needs to play on that. Uh, but Iowa team that's really good on offense. They're 10th in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. They are not very good on defense. They're 96th in the country in uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. In Big Ten play, Iowa is third in offense, uh, scoring 110.4 points per 100 possessions. They are 14th in the conference defensively, giving up 108.9 points per 100 possessions. And their big weaknesses defensively is they just don't defend two-pointers two very well. And of all the stats you look at to know if a defense is really good, like if you just want to kind of look at one number and say, okay, is this a good defense or not? Don't look at the three-point percentage given up. You know, it's not rebounding. Look at how they defend twos because there tends to be a very high correlation between defending the twos well and then having overall strong defensive efficiency, and they are dead last in the conference there. So what does that tell you right off the bat about the way that Indiana wants to play? It tells you that, you know, unlike the Michigan State game, where you went into it and you said, boy, it's going to be really hard for Indiana to do what it wants to do offensively, which is make twos. You know, the Iowa game, it would seem that that will really be there. Now, Indiana was able to, you know, to to compensate and and still attack the glass and not shoot a very high percentage because they they did a great job on the offensive glass and because they made threes. And so that helped to make up for that. And obviously, you'd love to do that again against Iowa. But I think the opportunities to really play the way they want to play are going to be there. Um, you know, it's it's one of Iowa's big weaknesses is defending the post. They give up one point per possession on post-up opportunities. That's in the fourth percentile nationally. It's terrible. But teams haven't done it a ton against them. Only 5% of their defensive possessions have been on post-ups. 
but Indiana likes to post up. We all know this. You know, Indiana loves dumping it into Juwan. With Duran out there, they like doing it even more. Indiana wants to get it into the post a lot. They've actually actually ten percent of Indiana's offensive possessions have been post ups, and they've scored uh, they've scored really well. So that's going to be a big key for Indiana is to be aggressive and play inside out. And yes, you know Al Durham and Devontae Green and Rob Finnessy and, and even Romeo, you want them to be aggressive, looking for their shot when it's there, but not forcing it. You know, getting the shots that are in rhythm because you've dumped it inside to either Jawan or Duran, and the ball has moved, and you've gotten a really good look that's in rhythm. So that's really, really going to be be key. And I think Indiana is going to be able to play aggressively because Iowa doesn't force a lot of turnovers. You know, they're not great in transition, so you can really be aggressive. Don't settle. And take advantage of the fact that Iowa has the worst two-point defense in Big Ten play. So that's the first thing is I think Indiana is going to be able to play even more comfortably offensively than they did against Michigan State. And so if they carry the energy, the movement, and the confidence that they had in that Michigan State game, the opportunities for points are going to be there. Now, the big challenge, of course, is you know Iowa's going to give you some points, but you still have to outscore them. <laughs> so as comfortable as you may be offensively, if you just let Iowa get rolling, you know, you may end up losing the game 92 to 90. And, you know, that's, you know, as excited as we might be about the offensive efficiency number jumping up, it's not going to matter if you lose. So what does Indiana need to do defensively? Well, as Mike talked about in our Big Ten Roundup segment, you know, it's really a bit of pick your poison with Iowa. They are really balanced offensively because they are outstanding in the post. So when on post-up possessions, and they've used 14% of their possessions this year on post-ups, They're scoring 1.092 points per possession. That is in the 99th percentile nationally. They're one of the best in the country. Tyler Cook is really good, but Luca Garza is out of this world good. He's scoring 1.235 points per possession on post-ups. You know, part of the reason, as Mike said, is, you know, he's versatile, he's big, he's got good touch. So, you know, limiting those guys is going to be important. You know, look, when they're that good at scoring inside, they're going to get some points inside. So what I think is really key here is to defend those guys without fouling, all right? Because in addition to, you know, part of the reason why they score so well, their point per possession number is so high is because they get fouled a lot. They're fifth in offensive free throw rate. Garza and Cook get fouled a lot. They're a good free throw shooting team. So all of that adds up to a toxic mix because, you know, you draw fouls, you get the other team in foul trouble, you're making free throws and your efficient scoring. So what Indiana needs to do, I think, is don't compound the problem by giving them extra points and getting in foul trouble, even if you just have to concede a bucket here or there. Because Duran and Juwan, and, you know, they just, they mean too much offensively for them to get in foul trouble against a team that's probably going to score a lot of points in the post anyway. So, I mean, play hard, battle, you know, try your best to, you know, challenge without fouling, which I thought Duran did a good job of in the Michigan State game. But don't compound it with a lot of fouls because we have to have those guys on the on the court. All right. So that's going to be really important. And then, you know, from there, offensively, I think Indiana needs to make Iowa work. Because Iowa's going to score some points. But if you make them work and if you make the possessions a little bit longer, you get them out of your comfort zone. And what is one of the things that we talked about with Indiana about why Indiana has struggled offensively and shot poorly? Because Indiana hasn't had any flow. They haven't had rhythm. And even when the good shooters have gotten shots, they haven't really been the kind of shots that they've wanted to get. Well, with Iowa, they play really fast. They play, let me get the exact number here. Their average possession length offensively is 16.1 seconds. That's 49th in the country. So they play fast and they play at a high tempo. 
if you look at what Indiana does defensively, team's average possession lengths against Indiana when the Hoosiers are on defense is 18.1 seconds. That is the like 35th slowest in the country. So it's a contrast there. In, you know, Iowa wants to play fast. They want to get in transition. They want to dump it down low and get a post up, you know, or get it outside, uh, you know, for a three-point shot. But we, we really want to slow it down. And I think that's going to be important as that average possession length needs to tick a little bit closer to what we want than what they want. Because what is that going to mean for Indiana to do that? That means that Indiana is getting back in transition and Iowa is solid in transition. Um, you know, and they spend, what was it, I think 17% of their uh, possessions uh, in transition. So they like to get out and go. They score more than a point per possession in transition. So just like Michigan State, you've got to shut that down. And then, you know, they're going to want to go inside and post up. And if that doesn't work, then they're going to want to kick it around the perimeter because they're outstanding from a shooting perspective. You know, they're in the 92nd percentile in terms of spot-up shots. You know, Weisskamp, Isaiah Moss, Bohannon, they've got guys that really shoot the ball well. But they shoot it particularly well on catch-and-shoot opportunities. So if you just let them dump it into the post, make a pass out, and, you know, maybe one more pass after that because you don't have a great rotation, they're going to they're gonna eat you up. But what Indiana did really well against Michigan State is Michigan State would dump it inside, they'd kick it out to a shooter, and then they'd have to try to reverse the ball three or four times. And there were a few possessions where Indiana was there on the catch every single time, and Michigan State couldn't shoot it. And it would lead to a forced shot. They didn't get any shot clock violations in this game, but they forced some tough shots at the end of the clock because they did that. And that's what Indiana needs to do because it will get Iowa out of their rhythm, and they are not good shooting off the dribble. So if you are able to approach shooters and not allow them to get that first shot off, and they either have to go off a dribble or keep passing it around... The guy they're going to pass it to is a good shooter, so you've got to be there, and your your defense has to be patient and continue to make those rotations. But again, if you can force those guys to shoot off the dribble, they're not very good at it. So with a great offensive team like Iowa, you know, so much of offense is based on rhythm. Got to get them out of rhythm. So let's make them play our style. Let's force them to play offense for longer than they want to. That is really going to be to Indiana's favor. And, and part of being able to do that defensively is your offense has to help you do it. So if we're able to score and not turn it over and limit live ball turnovers, that will prevent them from getting out in transition, getting some of those easy buckets, put them in half court, make them work in the half court. And that will at least, they're going to get their points. They're probably going to get, you know, 1.1 points per possession, even if Indiana plays well defensively. But if you can limit them and you take advantage of what they're going to give you on defense, that is your path to victory against this team. And it's important to note, you know, be on the lookout for shifting defenses. You know, Indiana this year has played 99.9% of possessions in man, as we know. The Synergy has them tracked for one possession in zone. Iowa has played 69% of their possessions in man, 31% of their possessions in zone, and they've also pressed 7% of the time. So they'll throw that in there, not just as a last resort type thing, but as a change of pace. And Indiana's overall numbers against zone are good. Indiana has spent 136 possessions in zone offense and scored 1.147 points per possession, which is actually in the 96th percentile. But some of that, you know, a lot of that was generated early in the season. I think like teams like Montana State played some zone and we racked up some points. We have clearly not been as good against the zone uh, in Big Ten play. So Indiana's going to have to be ready for that. That's certainly something teams do to throw you out of rhythm. And so, you know, Rob Finnessy, Devontae Green, Romeo Langford, Al Durham, the guys that are handling the ball are going to need to recognize that. And Indiana is really going to need to execute its, uh, you know, the offense that it wants against the zone. A couple other places where Iowa is vulnerable defensively to watch out for. 
They're not great in transition, so Indiana is going to want to get out on its own and score some transition buckets. And cutters have really been able to pick Iowa apart. And this is something Indiana is good at. So Iowa gives up 1.139 points per possession when the possession ends with the cutter shooting it or turning it over, when they end the possession. So typically that cutter is scoring points. And we actually score 1.253 points per possession on that, which is in the 83rd percentile. So we're good. It's a weakness for them. Someone like Justin Smith, Romeo Langford, you know, same thing. If those guys are alert, whether it's in a zone or in the man, and can cut into open space, Indiana has a lot of good passers that can find them. That's another way to get some easy points. So look for that. And then Iowa gives up a pretty high percentage uh, uh, on offensive rebounds, just you know, in terms of teams being able to turn offensive rebounds into points. And we saw Indiana, you know, do a nice job against Michigan State of being pretty good in transition defensively and in the half court while still sending one or two guys to the offensive glass. And so Indiana can get some hidden points uh, there as well against this Iowa team. So, you know, look, I really hesitate to (laughs) express confidence here in a preview because we've done that recently and it hasn't worked out so well. Um, So I I just think this is going to be a really interesting game. Because I am, I do feel good that that Michigan State game is going to be a springboard. And so I I feel good about it, but I also want to see it. It's hard after the seven straight games that we saw to like fully buy in and embrace that, okay, that Michigan State game, we are definitely going to see that for the rest of the season. You know, there's still that healthy dose of skepticism because of those seven games. And so we all want to see Indiana actually bring it again uh, against Iowa. But if they do, this is a game that Indiana will win because I think, you know, Indiana found some things offensively against Michigan State. And I think the offense will be able to hum against Iowa. And then it's about being tough minded on defense and dictating the tempo. And if we're able to do that, then, you know, then we'll win this game. Um, it, you know, I, I think it's two pretty evenly matched teams. They play a little bit of a different style, but two pretty evenly matched teams. And so we should be able to beat them. Uh, on our home floor. And then, of course, you know, we've got the return date, February 22nd. It'll be a different game up there. So we got to take care of things here at home. The Ken Palm prediction is 76-75 Indiana uh, with a 53% chance for Indiana to win. Put whatever stock you want in those numbers after uh, what we saw on Saturday. But that is uh, that is what the computers look for. So uh, I certainly, you know, if I had to pick, uh, I would pick Indiana, uh, and I will pick Indiana um, in our uh, community uh, pick them, but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun game. So those are my keys. If you have some different ones, let me know. Hit me up at Assembly Call. It'd be great to hear what you think the keys to the game are. Alrighty, that will do it for us on this week's episode of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with Basketball 201 tomorrow and then the IU-Iowa postgame show on Thursday. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. 
And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.